0: Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit MethodProducts.com to unleash your inner shower.
1: Hi, everyone. It's Scott. Today on the podcast feed, we're going to share an edited version of the fourth episode of Pivot Schooled, our live video series. This episode was originally broadcast on Wednesday, August 26, and the theme was The Big Four. Our guests were Google CEO Sundar Pichai, Columbia University Tim Wu, and The Verge's Silicon Valley editor Casey Newton. Later in the show, we'll also answer listener questions and make some predictions. By the time you're hearing this, we've already broadcast a fifth and final live episode of Pivot School. But if you paid for a ticket, you can watch the video replays of all five episodes at pivotschool.com. But now, let's get to Pivot Schooled and discuss the Big Four.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pivot School. <laughs> I'm Kara Swisher. Shall I yell throughout Scott the whole thing? Galloway.
1: Good to see you. Good to see you, Kara. Good I saw a guy you. in your background. Is it the pool boy from the Fontainebleau? Is he hanging out at your place now?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, Jerry Falwell Jr. Holy George. Oh God. Whatever. No, you that is my news, speaker right? guy. You heard,
1: you heard I'm gonna what? be Which I'm gonna be on the RNC tonight.
2: What do you mean? What does that mean? What is the RNC? No, I didn't. What's we'll, that? We'll,
1: the Republican National C- Convention, whatever the hell it is. I've I've not booked, yeah. but between now and then, I'm going to tweet a bunch of anti-Semitic comments and wave a gun at any person of color who walks by. Boom! Guest host coming oh, your way. That'd
2: be good. What would you say? What would you say if you had a little moment besides screaming or looking like you might have a drug problem? Or what, what was, what would you, what would you speak to them if that was your speech?
1: I would say that it's important that we endorse the sciences and fund tech such that they can build a cloning machine and a time machine and we can go back and find us, track us down, kill us, and then commit suicide. That would be my advice to the people speaking (laughs) at the RNC tonight. Yeah.
2: Oh, all right. Where, what would your, what would be your chosen area? They, since they're using all the federal buildings, be, even though, you know, it's sort of a violation of, it's not even, someone's saying it's a violation festival of the Hatch Act, uh, which they will not get caught for, by the way. So the press should just, well, they should be mad, but nonetheless. So what would you, where, what, what would you pick? What, what federal building? The museum, building or-
1: the, Newseum, the museum that was opened and closed because they couldn't figure out what the hell it meant. Remember that the New Zealand?
2: I would would sit my ass on the top of the Washington Monument. That's what I would do. Right at the top there.
1: That's where I would do it from. A little window. A lot of inappropriate jokes. I'm not even going to go there. I I
2: don't even go there. Anyway, how is your vacation going? Once again, I have been left alone in regular Pivot School, but here you are weekly. You look rather nice. Looks like you're ready to go back to school.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to school. Um, Everything's Mm -hmm. good here. You know, kids. Yeah. My kids are awful, but other than that, you know, I hate spending time no, with the kids. No, no. So that's Stop been kind that. of a bummer. But, but other that. than that it's, that, it's fine. It's been nice. What have you been up to?
2: Um, just things. Yeah, I know, just I creating.
1: Know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to insult my kids on a team. I know. I know, but, and I know. He's up in quarantine. He's going a little batshit crazy. Um, yeah. But now I just realized. You might be able to leave slightly early from your New York, new York uh, University quarantine. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, I have been up to building a podcast studio for my new New York Times thing. I, I have that's mm-hmm. working. Working on that and booking mm-hmm. guests and uh, some nice. really big guests. We're getting which is going to be good and uh, and and just just general working as I always do. I don't take the just month of August to go to
1: being the switch. Just being
2: Kara. Got it. So. So there's a lot we can talk about this week. This is your big, this is something that based on a book we're going to be talking about, which we've talked about a lot, which is the big four. Um, you wrote mm-hmm. a book how many years ago? That was your, that, not your well, last I'm book. I'm not entirely
1: sure. It, I, I don't even, I don't think that way about my work, my IP. Uh, <laughs> let me see. It was, uh, what was it? Three years ago? Yeah, it was three years ago. Let me yeah. see. I, because all okay, were- told, I've I've written one, two, three, five, five, two books. So yeah, it was three years ago. <laughs> I'm here with you. Do you remember? That's why. You reached out to me and said, come on our show. And then this is my favorite. You told me I was the most down. You called me and said, you were the most downloaded guest we've ever had. And we think it was a mistake. So we'd like to have you back on. (laughs) There (laughs) we go. That's how our relationship got started.
2: I, I was like, "What could happen here? What did they think it was?" I don't know what had happened, and there it was. You were, you were, you were not the most downloaded. Elon Musk remains the most downloaded, but you were near the top. You were very close to the me top. And, Elon. and uh, yeah, and Elon, uh, you and Elon were up there. Um, let me ask you uh, a couple of questions about the Big Four. So, at the time, you were sort of writing about them in a, a less. Um, it was it, it was a, it was simpler time three years ago when you were writing. It, mm-hmm. Correct, you were talking about their sort of different roles, and each of the Big Four had a different. Personality, correct? Would you go through mm-hmm. those very briefly for the people?
1: Well, I mean, when I started writing, it was five years ago, and it started out as a love letter. Um, I, I, these companies are the number one recruiters out of my class. When I started teaching 20 years ago, the number recruit, one recruiter was Amex. Now it's Amazon. Number two is Google. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. economically more secure and more prosperous because of these companies. The only stocks I've ever owned are these companies, or uh, up until that moment. And it struck me that they had in a world where you see countries as they get more affluent and educated, a reliance on a super being and church attendance goes down, that each of these companies was tapping into a basic instinct. And so essentially, you know, as our society evolves, our questions get bigger. But because we fewer and fewer of us think of a super being, there's this huge void for an ability to pray. And what is prayer? It's sending a query into the universe. Will my kid be all right? Symptoms and treatment of mm-hmm. croup. And there is no entity that you trust more. Uh, than Google. You trust Google more than a rabbi, priest, scholar, job, boss. It knows it knows if you have diabetes. It knows if you're having an affair. It knows if you're contemplating divorce, your sexual fetishes, and how much money you make. Google knows more about you. Google, it really knows you. So I think Google's God. I think as we move yeah, down I, to I love. For go ahead.
2: I, I just read it for recipes, but go ahead. Move along. Move no, along. That's because
1: you're paranoid. But anyways, uh, I think <laughs> Facebook initially held out the promise of love as a species. One of the wonderful things about mammals is we uh, literally have longer life expectancy and better health when we connect to other people. And it held out that promise. Moving down to the gut, the ultimate business strategy is always more for less. It's the strategy of Walmart, of China. And then Amazon has done a better job communicating that basic instinct that if you go into the cave with us, you're more likely to survive the winter. That business strategy never goes out of style. And then finally, Apple Tapped into the second most powerful instinct in the world right behind survival, and that is your ability to signal to the opposite sex or the same sex that you have better genes and that you should mate and that you are more likely, I am more likely. Or you are more like your kids are more likely to survive if you have sex with someone who carries an iPhone versus an Android, because it means they're wealthier. It means they're storytellers. It means they're the creative class. It means that their genes are more worthwhile. So you had God, love, consumption and sex. And I thought those four (laughs) things had, you know, were just so powerful. And then these companies effectively have. You know, dominated those respective, for better and for worse, have dominated those sectors. And there's never been anything like these companies, I don't think.
2: All right. So it was a love letter has turned into something else. And we're going to talk about that. Let's bring uh, some friends of Pivot on to talk about the big four. Uh, First is Sundar Pichai. He's the CEO of Google and Alphabet, someone I've known a long time. Please bring on Sundar. Hey, Sundar. How you doing?
3: Good, good, Scott. Good, Kara. Good to see you guys. Good to good see, see you. I'm...
2: Okay, so uh, let's start Let's start with what a lot of what Scott was talking about, is let's, COVID, the impact of COVID on all businesses. Talk a little bit about the challenge in the operations, the consumer base. You're obviously working from home. What lessons have you learned from it?
3: You know, it's been extraordinary. I mean, like many companies, we've had to literally move uh, most people to working from home. Um, I think what's been hard is, I think people are uh, definitely stretched thin, uh, struggling to separate uh, work and uh, home. Uh, If you have parents, two of you working without support, I think, you know, it's been a tough stretch for people, I think that way. Uh, You know, in terms of future of work, I'm thinking about a lot and, you know, I'm worried right now we are doing fine, but it's based on all the shared connections you've built when, you know, we've all been working together. So when we get into the next phase, ideation, building new things, how do you do innovation while we are all set up like that? That part isn't fully clear to me. So ho- hoping in the future you have a combination of a more of a flexible workspace. Uh, I think we know now we can work remotely. So I think you don't always need to pull people five days a week in. Uh, people in San Francisco, New York, commuting two hours each way. So I do think we can do stuff better. But maybe the future will be in a focused way. You bring them together for brainstormings and Group meetings, ideation, creative faces, and it's a bit more of a hybrid. Uh, so it's it's exciting to think about that, but it's definitely uh, definitely been hard on a lot of people, I think, and you know, hoping hoping to get to some sense of normality soon.
2: Well, one thing is though that all these tech companies, including yours, have become more powerful than ever in this in during COVID. It, it's it's a real delta between your companies and other companies. Um, why do you think that is, and, and should people be nervous about this? You know, I've written about this, that I thought you guys were going to come back, more powerful than ever. And Scott just talked about the idea that you all are controlling the fates of a lot of people in whatever sector you're in.
3: You know, for sure, digital has been a lifeline through COVID. So that's the, you know, but with that comes uh, the effort you're talking about. I think people are using services, and tech is uh, benefiting from that standpoint. For sure, they go hand in hand, I think. Uh I do think some of it will stay. Uh I think you mentioned telehealth, which is a great example. I think if you were a normal hospital, maybe before COVID, two to three percent was telehealth. Now it's like 70%. When it returns back, it's gonna be not it's not gonna go back to two percent. So these are some of it is, you know, the, the trends will last a bit. And and so I do think it's an opportunity for tech. And, you know, I think that's that's what we are seeing in the marketplace. You know, we've always known for a long time, I think, you know, tech, you know, technology is going to be a bigger part of everything. And I think you see some of that play out more sharply, the e-commerce curve, even though I, I knew it, when I see the slide, it's, a you know, it's a bit striking. Uh, this literally looks like you're pulling a decade in uh, into this time. And, you know, we are impacted. Look, I mean, we are broad-based. Uh, we are impacted. Uh, you know, Scott mentioned this. We we took uh, one of our uh You know, toughest revenue hits last quarter. But having said that, you know, the company is diversified and we have strengths as well. And so, uh, you know, we are investing, investing deeply through this crisis as well.
2: Right. Scott's going to have a question. But when I see that slide, I'm terrified of all of you even more. You know what I mean? Not you in particular. Again, as Scott said, you're all nice guys, except maybe one or two of you. Um, But I'm terrified of that idea of just a few companies controlling the fates of, of billions and billions of people across, the should is that? How do you answer that away from sort of the we're trying to do good and we're here to protect everybody from China or whatever the excuse is?
3: Look, from a few ways I think about it. I mean, through this time, there are other companies which have emerged very strongly too. Right, you know, somebody like Shopify, you know, you can see them or Zoom or so. You see, you know, Tesla has done really well. Netflix has done, and so I can go through a long list of companies which have done well too. Also look at it, you know, you know, from my standpoint, you know, go back maybe 15 years ago, you know, you opened your computer, you opened a browser, Google was the main gateway to information. I look at my daughter now and she's on her iPhone and I mean, she gets information coming to her from more sources than ever before. To the extent, you know, you may worry about something different as to, you know, hopefully she's getting the right information and so on. But it's both, you're right. I think the big companies are doing very well, but I do see a lot of emerging companies. I mean, you, you've all seen the interest around TikTok, which is new. And at least I can tell you sitting on a Monday meeting running <laughs> the company, it feels like there's a lot coming at us, right? And, you know, and so you're, you're worried about, uh, worried about innovating. You're worried about making sure you're on the cutting edge of things. You worry whether the next generation is going to, uh, you know, Find your products valuable, so both are simultaneously true. So I'm not denying, or I'm not saying that the big companies aren't, uh, you know, doing well. At the same time, I see, you know, it's, I think it's parallelly true that there's more choices for information than ever before. And you know, I see that when I use it, I get my news from Twitter. Uh, you can ask Siri on your phone, or you can ask questions to Alexa. Uh, you know, we know, for example, as Google, when people look for uh, any products. You know, uh, many searches happen outside of Google, and that's been true. It's a, it's an important way we make money. So all of this is simultaneously true. So I, I do think there is concentration for sure. Um, you know, but there's a lot of competition too. And you know, so at least from my from my standpoint, it feels like both are happening at the
1: same time. Scott. So the go to, I find the go to, and I think any CEO feels a lot of heat. A lot of you get competitors from everywhere. Uh, can you think of another sector that's over $100 billion where one player has a 93% share and isn't regulated?
3: You know, I mean, it, it depends on, you know, at one point in time, somebody had 90% share of homepages. So to me, it's like the railroad versus transportation analogy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's in the business of providing information. Uh, and mm-hmm. there is more information, new apps on your phone. You, you go to the app directly. So search... Is you know you can view it as a market, but that's it's a, it's one way by which people get information, and that, I think that dynamic will constantly evolve. That's why you the homepage mm-hmm. example when Google started portals, homepages were the way people primarily had a window to the world of information. But the game changes, right? And so yeah. you know I I viewed as dynamic, and you know there are companies which are bigger than us which won't pass that market share. They may say they have ten percent of some market. So, you know, I mean, I think it's, you're right. You know, we are a popular search engine and, you know, we work super hard at that. Uh, you know, we invested $26 billion in R&D last year. So the amount of yeah. work we do to stay in search is a lot. But I think, you know, I gave this example for product searches. Uh, so, you know... Google is not the way by which people find product searches. They can click and go to Amazon or Walmart or Target directly and buy the product too. So the company and that doesn't get captured in your search share. So you know, uh, yep. so it's, it's that's a sense of competition I talk about too.
1: So I wanted to make sure this didn't digress into a non-carbonated antitrust hearing. So I want to shift gears and <laughs> I thought the, the, the most underreported story, and obviously I have an interest here, was Google career certificates of last week. And uh, if I understand it correctly, six months of training from Google in a specific domain, micro certification after six months, 300 bucks. And the most exciting thing, and I thought the most revolutionary thing, is that Google will value this similarly on or with the same equivalence as a bachelor's. And that someone can come into Google at 70, 80, 100 grand a year. And this is, in my industry, this is... I mean, we've been sticking our chin out, increased tuition fourteen hundred percent, preying on the hopes and dreams of the middle class. And I've been saying that big tech's gonna come in. And I feel like this is the first big, um, the first big move. So my question is, how is this is this CSR? Do you see this as a market? What was the catalyst for the decision? Do you see yourself going into other domains? Will this be a a $10 billion, 20 twenty billion dollar business for you. Do you see this as a key business line? Is this, or is this just CSR? Can you give us a little color here? Yeah, great question.
3: First of all, thanks for being excited uh, by it. You know, I almost became a professor of marketing at one point. I have to tell you that story. Uh, you screwed you know, up when I first came. You here. I'm
1: sorry things haven't no. worked out
3: for you, Sunder. No, <laughs> no. You know, my uncle, uh, my uncle is a professor of marketing, and it's, his home is where I first came. He's a professor at Carnegie Mellon. Of marketing. And so when I first came to the U, he was like, You have to become a professor of marketing. That's what you should do. So, um, but you know, look, I've always been passionate about education. Um, it is amazing to me. Um, we know we started the conversation with how much tech is becoming an important part of people's lives. So, transitioning your workforce to this, uh, to have digital skills and make the transition is going to be important. I think four year colleges alone. I, mean, I think they are they are great, but it's very clear from data that for many people that it's just not an option right for a whole yeah. set of circumstances. So figuring out, and I know you're doing a lot here, Scott, but figuring out you know more accessible units by which you can do it, but you have to match it with making sure that can result in jobs. So that's where the certification mm-hmm. comes. Uh, you know we are trying to lead it. You're right. It started as part of our Grow with Google effort, uh, talking with people. And so it's more we are trying to say, you know, as part of this tech transition, there is a clear digital skills gap. Uh, We are trying to lead by example and show it. We would be happy for others to pick it up and scale it up. We actually want to see more certification programs come there. So we are trying to validate, show proof of concept and show that it works. Uh, But we are not thinking about it as a business opportunity, if that helps.
2: All right, I'm going to shift us again back to antitrust because we do have Tim Wu here. Here, but when you're thinking about moving into other areas, that's great. That's but when you're the businesses you are in, and not just you, but Amazon, uh, Apple, uh, and others, we're all at these antitrust hearings. I know you can't talk right now. You're under investigation um, by the government. How are you preparing for new regulations overall, not just antitrust, but you know privacy legislation uh, what concerns you the most and, and what do you think is necessary? I mean I know not that we want to get our our regulation tips from the CEOs of all the companies being regulated, but what are you what are you most concerned about
3: look i a few things um you know i I think rules of the road helps and you know so even as a you know as a company sometimes there are spaces where we are in we are happy to take feedback and you know do our work differently, and so uh you know we need to understand the rules of the road. so the good thing about regulation is you know to the extent if you feel something is not working and you can adjust it and you have new rules of the road, it's tough to get regulation right uh you know and and you know precisely sometimes regulation can actually entrench companies so if I look at the most regulated sectors. Uh, you know, they're hard to innovate in. It's tough for a new company in a garage to start up and actually, uh, you know, build themselves up. Uh, you know, you, you've seen the automotive sector or something. It's been a long time since something like Tesla has come and, uh, and innovated there, right? So I think it's, these are heavily regulated industries. So there is some concern I have that sometimes it can entrench big companies. Sometimes it can have the wrong intended effect. You're trying to achieve something a regulation in one place can actually strengthen another big company, right? And, you know, we've, we've gone through it, for example, in Europe, in uh, commerce, uh, you know, we are under regulation, the market share definition didn't include Amazon and other companies. And so we've had to make a set of changes. And so, you know, question is who benefits from it? And so I think it's tough to get good regulation. So I, you know, I think I think GDPR was a good step in the right direction. And I think, Privacy is an uh, area where most of us agree that there can be better regulation, and I think all of us would support it. Um, but, you know, you're right, you shouldn't take it from big companies alone, but I think it's tough to get good regulation uh, done, and, you know, so that's what I would worry about at the highest level. But I, at you the know, highest but I think, you uh, know, what I mean is Go ahead. Uh, more philosophically, that's that's my concern. You asked me what would my concern be, you know, I think. Uh, you know, to get a good piece of regulation done. But I do think, I, I think there are many people in Congress who are genuinely engaged. And, you know, I see smart people, be it on topics of privacy or something, people are engaged. And so I think, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll do the right things.
2: Well, getting to that, you know, one of the concerns just recently was you and Apple are on the same side for once battling Epic Games over money made by Fortnite on your app stores, for example. Um, explain Google's position on this and what's happening. This is an example of you both control the mobile app space. You're it, um, and you have developers sort of starting to base camp. Whether any of them are complaining about this?
3: Oh, it's a it's a good question. It's a complex topic. Just to give some sense of how, while it looks similar, you know, today I mean, we don't we we license Android for free. We don't take a share of uh, uh, the device sales, right? And and we do commercial. Distribution agreements now for all our services. So for us, monetizing the Play Store is an important way we fund all of Android and we have to compete against Apple and other companies too. Few more differences on Android. We allow other app stores. So we do allow other app stores. And in for game developers, uh, you know, within app payments, we only make money when they make. But I think it's these are good debates to have. Uh, you know, I think. We think we bring value and we are trying to take uh, uh, some value. Like today, when we sell a Pixel phone or something, we pay distribution costs to it, right? You know, I think we have to pay retail margins, we pay uh, revenue share to carriers and OEMs and so on, right? And and so there are business models here, uh, but I think these are good questions and I'm glad there's a debate about it. We are trying to find the right balance and we are in conversations with a lot of our developers But I do think there are big differences between the two ecosystems as well. And, you know, we license Android, you know, open source way free of charge. Amazon uses Android to ship, uh, their, uh, tablets. So our competitors use Android. And, you know, so it's a very different model as well. And, and that's where in some of these conversations, I think, you know, how do you, uh, you know, how do you, uh, compete in these, uh, it is increasingly garden very expensive to invest in tech too. So the R&D investments that go into these new areas, you know, when we do things like AI and quantum, uh, these are deep long-term investments as well. So, right. um, you know, I think these are interesting questions to, to ask about, yeah.
2: Okay, we're going to get some audience questions. I'm sorry I didn't ask about quantum, which I will at the very end. Um, how, this is a question from the audience. How would you describe Google's efforts in hardware so far? Where uh, should we expect to see those uh, three years from now? You know, th- we've been around. This is a long and winding road for Google. Um, how do you look at it?
3: It's a good contrast to the before question. I mean, hardware is hard. You know, there are many spaces where we feel like. We are challenging others and we are the small player and, you know, emerging and doing better. Cloud is an example. Hardware is an example. Uh, you know, I'm really excited about Pixel 4a. Uh, it builds on Pixel 3a, uh, which was one of our highest NPS best-selling uh, uh, products. Yeah. And, you know, the amount of R&D that goes into building just a, a great camera, you know, it's great at security, but at an affordable price, you know, something we are proud about early traction is uh, early feedback on sales, et cetera, has been very positive, uh, even compared to 3 a So I'm excited by it. We are very committed to uh, the space long-term, uh, but it's definitely, you know, we don't have access to the distribution. Uh, somebody like Apple has, you know, they have stores all over the world. So in the space, it doesn't matter that you build a good product. That's maybe 40% of it. 60% of it is how can you distribute it and get it into the hands of other people? So if you take something like Pixel, it's available maybe in one carrier in the U.S., right? And most of it we try mm-hmm. to sell online. And so we are an upstart in this space, but very committed. Uh, you know, the roadmap looks exciting. And so, uh, you know, uh, we are, uh, you know, I'm excited about the roadmap, particularly next year, because, you know, it takes about two to three years to plan for innovations and build it into the product
2: line. Okay. If uh, Next question. If broken up in antitrust, how secure is an individual's data? That's a hypothetical, you know.
3: Look, some of the things, part of why we set alphabet, uh, you know, to, to, to Scott's uh, points too, is some of the newer areas we are getting into, we can get into it with the right structure. So if you take something like Waymo as an example, it is set up uh, independently from day one. You know, recently we raised money, we brought outside investors in so that long-term some of that is possible. Some of the things we have done over the last 10 to 20 years is truly intermingled at an infrastructure uh, you know so for example google cloud is deeply built on our technical infrastructure which we built to serve our product so the underlying technical couplings are you know not because if we've done anything recently it's been that way for a long time but having mm-hmm. said that you know today for example to support data localization requirements you know we we do a lot to make sure data is protected in the right way so if it's an enterprise customer it's their data it's siloed, it's encrypted with their keys so that only they have access to it. So we have a lot of technical solutions to protecting user privacy and data. And so depending on what we need to do, you know, we'll work hard uh, hard to okay. get it right. So that's what we would do.
2: Okay, we have two more questions. Uh, how is Alphabet planning for automation and its effects on society? And maybe you could dip into some of the, the AI investments you've been making and with Deep Minds and other places.
3: I mean, this... That's a profound question. Uh, You know, it's interesting to note that pre-pandemic, you know, we have had a decade of automation and we had one of the lowest levels of unemployment, too, at the same time. I think that's different from, uh, you know, wage growth. And, you know, I don't want to decouple the two conversations, but at least from an unemployment standpoint, you know, with a lot of automation over the last many years, uh, you know, we also had low unemployment. Uh, It's kind of uh, important to remember that. AI, of course, can be different because the change can be very fast. It can get into uh, areas which previously technology hasn't done that. So I do think it's uh, important to worry about. The good news is AI is going to take some time, uh, you know, so I think it gives us a chance. And there are areas where I think uh, I take healthcare as an example. Uh, You know, I look at our work we are doing in pathology or diagnosis. The way I see it is not it's automation, it's going to, one, for many people, I think it'll give actually it'll help them spend their time better. Maybe they will have more time for patients talking to other doctors and the error rates will go down. B, there are parts of the world in which by having AI, we see this with diabetic retinopathy, we are making helping other clinics in the world diagnose the disease early, which they could have never done before. So that's the optimistic way I see see it playing out. But you know, look, I mean we all have to. These are going to be important societal topics. And, you know, you talked about regulation. These are the areas where, you know, if technology is very disruptive, we do need to think, ask hard questions and think about the right social safety nets, uh, you know, and, and the right constructs to support society, too. And I think society will slow down innovation in some of these areas if it is disruptive enough, and rightfully so. And so I think that's hmm, the balance that's we all to debate.
2: Okay. Uh, last questions. I'm going to combine them together. Uh, one is about uh, unity and the other is about uh, diversity, uh, sp- specifically around what was going on at Google. Uh, the big four, some more than others, played a role in giving a rise to populism and uh, on account of how segmented and divided they've made us. To what extent can and will they help reunify us? And then secondly, has Google adjusted their company policies post employee walkout to make their working environment better and more equitable? for employees. So either one, they're, they're sort of in the same genre of how your impact on society.
3: I mean, uh, both good questions. On the second one, uh, you know, we've obviously, you know, more than many companies, we've always given our employees a voice. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. we pride ourselves on that. And as a, there are many things we have done uh, uh, from that moment, to give one example of it, you know, we've obviously, for a company of, of our scale, you know, we've ended binding arbitration, forced arbitration, uh, you know, and our employees today, uh, you know, get the right to choose the avenue they want to proceed. So that's an example of a change we have done. We have really made our processes more transparent fair. We have internal transparency reports. We have made specific changes to make sure there's care in the processes when people come up to report something. And so I can talk about this for a, a long time more. On the first question, look, As a company, for most of our products, we build search, et cetera. It's really, you know, this is the essence of what we do in search. We work very hard to get uh, accurate information and the right information. And, you know, and and we take that super seriously. Uh, YouTube uh, is an area where we really focused on here. Over the last two years, uh, a clear number one goal for the company, uh, for YouTube, has been, uh, what Susan and team have been focused on is around what we call content responsibility. And we've made many changes in the product and more than ever before if i look at where we see the usage in youtube it's around uh uh entertainment uh i mean it's becoming one of the biggest learning platforms in the world i know we spoke about our certification program but the youtube is a place where people go to learn and while it's informal i think it's a big opportunity for us and maybe we can think about deeper work there as well but that's how we think about it. You know, we haven't gotten everything right and anytime, but, you know, we learn from it and, you know, I think it's important. I think as a company for the long term, we have to get this right. So.
2: Do you yourself feel responsible for part of it? Not You and the other tech executives, do you think they should accept some of the responsibility for it?
3: I, you know, I, of course I think so. I mean, these are uh, large platforms for informi- information. And so, for example, when it comes to elections or foreign interference, et cetera. We all have to, you know, we see actors on these platforms trying to do stuff. Uh, we are collaborating better than ever before. So there are there's a tech coalition now, we exchange data, we collaborate with the government. So there are many things on which I can point to tangible progress that's been made. And, and so I, I feel better about it, but there's more work to be done and the work has to be continuous in nature, I think.
2: Okay, Sundar, thank you so much. We we okay, Scott, can go I ahead. Ask you have one final, final question. Yes, final question from Scott.
1: So Sundar, you are the American success story. My understanding is you came over on a student visa, is that correct? That's right, yeah. And then ultimately decided to become a US citizen. So you have the perspective of having been raised somewhere else, come here, decided to become a citizen. Do you think America's headed in the right direction? Uh, you know, I'm concerned about
3: making sure we are a place where we've had a model which has worked well for many, many years. Uh, You know, it's not an, you mentioned the Manhattan project. It was built by uh many immigrants, uh, you know, yeah. who left other places and came to the U S Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's never changed in my opinion. You know, I think, but we can't take it for granted. Right. I think you have to earn it every year that you're the best place where uh, the best people around the world want to come and, the opportunity this country provided me, I think. I think it's a beacon of hope, and you know, I hope. Uh, I hope we value that and continue, uh, continue to keep it in that direction. Do you think it's headed in the right direction? I'm I'm optimistic over the long long term, right? You know, I think. Uh, I think there is a uh, uh, there is inherently something about our system which wants to, uh, you know, I think on on issues like this. I think it will revert to, uh, you know, America's always been an open country. And I think, uh, you know, if I were to bet, I would bet in that direction over time.
2: Would you, what would you as an immigrant, as someone who's seen this, and I know you and I've had discussions about this, what would you say to the Trump administration right now to do? Is there something, some message you would like to send this here, you're, you're like the perfect example of of, uh, of of how great immigration can be for our country.
3: I mean, i have been very clear, um, be it in, uh, in meetings. I mean, today there was an announcement of investment for AI and quantum, uh, which, you know, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, glad to see in, you know, in my conversations and the opportunities I've uh, had. I've advocated for basic science funding, uh, making sure there are policies by which we can bring in talent everywhere. Uh, these are things which have worked for. So, both publicly and in, 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 the right conversations, uh, you know, consistently taken that view. And I think it benefits the country and it benefits the world. You know, I'm, one of the things I'm very worried about is technologies like AI. There is nothing called AI safety for an individual country, just like climate change. And so the only ways the, these things work is by globally solving it. And so figuring out those connections. And I think, uh, immigration helps towards that. It helps in the exchange of ideas and people and, I think, brings the world together, too. So uh, for, for a whole set of reasons, I think uh, it's important to get it right.
2: All right. Sundar, thank you. I'm so glad your staff is trying to get us to go. I have just one last little question. Are you going Are you trying to buy TikTok at all, or are you not in that game?
3: No. You know, we can be a technology provider as a cloud provider, but we are not in the, uh, you know, yes. So yes, Susan, we are not. We are not. So it's just it Larry
2: it, Ellison. Okay. Larry Ellison I and got, such. I got,
3: <laughs> my money is on Scott buying TikTok. That's what I'm assuming. I'm oh, <laughs> Go Good on. Yeah,
2: Sundar Pichai, right. oh, next slide. Professor
1: us. Professor <laughs> of Marketing Sundar Pichai, yeah, next slide. Next slide.
2: <laughs> All right, Sundar, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the especially the extra time and thank you for doing this and we'll talk soon.
1: All right, thanks, Sundar. Hey, it's Scott. We're listening to the 4th episode of Pivot School, which was broadcast live on Wednesday, August 26th. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be right back after this. This is Pivot School. Let's get back to the show for our second friend of Pivot interview, Columbia University professor and total gangster, Tim Wu.
2: Let's get right to our next guest, who is uh, Tim Wu, who uh, doesn't really need introduction, but let's bring him on. He is a Columbia University professor, Tim Wu. Hi, Tim. How you doing?
4: Hey, how's it going? Good, good. So, just so
2: you know, he's in rural Pennsylvania, but you look good. We were supposed to warn people of that; you may (laughs) appear blurry. But uh, thanks for uh, joining us. So, before we talk about the big four, the question—a question about TikTok—you recently wrote an op-ed for the New York Times called "A TikTok Ban Is Overdue." I was surprised by that piece. So, talk about why you wrote that, and 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 a little bit about uh, this whether selling TikTok to a U.S. company solves its problems.
4: That uh, piece is a broader comment on the Chinese uh, uh, relationship with the rest of the world, and my basic opinion that is that in the West, uh, uh, and I think we've been just playing the sucker for too long when it comes to the Chinese Mm -hmm. tech industry. You know, I got to make it clear that I'm in uh, no way in agreement with with Trump's whole idea of villainizing China and saying that they have this uh, you know conspiracy to, to to steal everything. But you know, you can get a little confused by. Uh, by being anti-Trump into forgetting what good policy is. And I just think, uh, you know, China bans every single important uh, foreign application in its market. It won't let any foreign sources of information reach it. And so if you're going to have an open Internet, I think it should be a little more of a a mutual society that you extend the privileges of an open Internet uh, to countries that play by the rules. So that, that was my thinking in that piece. Uh, that we should mm-hmm. quit playing the sucker uh, when it
1: comes to China's tech industry.
2: Okay, Scott, why don't you start, start.
1: Professor? So ninety-three percent of a hundred billion dollar plus market. Is there any reason? Is there any reason in any alternative universe that Google has not been already broken up? <laughs> well, you know, I was uh, a little uh, surprised. Uh, you know, Sundar, he was pretty uh, relaxed
4: for a guy who's about to be uh, sued by Bill Barr and and uh, and Ken Paxson of Texas. Um, there's no question that there's a lawsuit coming. Uh, everybody knows it and, uh, I hope they have a better defense than the argument that well, uh, you know, everyone's looking for information. So we're competing with the phone book or something. He said, it's a little, a little like standard oil saying, well, uh, we don't have an oil monopoly cause, uh, people like olive oil and their salad. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's coming. There's no doubt. Um. You know how long it lasts and, and what happens that that's uh, what we don't know
2: so what do you imagine is happening? what have you heard is happening and what do you what do you feel like should happen if you you were Bill Barr and I'm sorry to make that make you put yourself <laughs> in his body but what would what would you be doing right now and preparing
4: Well, uh, as I understand it, the argument is uh, not whether they're going to file but how broad the lawsuit's going to be against Google mm-hmm. um, and uh, the debate is between just advertising driven where google has a clear monopoly in search advertising and something a little more broad that has to do with uh how competitors to google in their verticals get treated you know like yelp mm-hmm. or TripAdvisor or, or or shopping companies so i think that's a debate uh, i also i suspect the complaint is done Knowing Bill Barr, they've probably done whatever he wants. It's very strange, by the way, to have the Attorney General of the United States run these, but that's what's going on, according to everything Mm -hmm. we're hearing. And I think, uh, I hate to say this, but I think that uh, it is a matter of political timing, probably, (laughs) that, um, you know, Barr works very carefully with the White House. So, you know, this is one of these situations where, you know, I'm a support uh, antitrust revival. I'm not too thrilled about Google becoming a potential scapegoat for purposes of a Trump re-election uh, policy. But anyway, that's where it is.
2: Well, doesn't, doesn't the advertising drag in Facebook then, or the, the things around Yelp and others drag in Amazon? Shouldn't it be a broader investigation? Of, because both those other companies, or Apple, um, have those problems.
4: Uh, that's true. So uh, the way it works in the antitrust world is the main agencies divide up the companies, Actually, they Mm -hmm. fight over them quite extensively. And another agency, the Federal Trade Commission, they have Facebook. And uh, they have been just slower, a little quieter. And uh, I think they have a strong case against uh, Facebook as well. Actually, I think the strongest case is the case against Facebook. Scott referred to this earlier. Uh, Facebook was allowed to buy most of its uh, direct competitors over the last 10 years in a sort of serial acquisition campaign. Uh, very similar to Standard Oils, actually. So I think they're the most vulnerable. But, uh, you, know, it, it, you know, the government isn't always uh, exactly rational or straightforward in how it operates. And so that's a different agency. And they may sit it out and decide to let the next administration decide, whether that's Biden or Trump, uh, whether to bring the case that would break up Facebook.
1: Professor, we're, we always talk about antitrust through the lens of it's some sort of punishment, And whereas, and you're a scholar around antitrust, can you talk a little bit about what happens post-breakups? I mean, generally speaking, isn't -hmm. it it a positive for almost everybody? You know, you're right. It depends a
4: little bit on the company. But Standard Oil, which we've already mentioned twice, the old oil monopolist, uh, they were broken into 36 pieces. And after that, uh, suddenly became much more valuable. It turned out this huge, hulking conglomerate uh, you know, everyone in in business knows conglomerates are, are inefficient. And you know, if you've hung out at some of these big tech companies, I mean, you did that slideshow how great they are. There's obviously, and like in any giant company, a lot of dead wood there too. So yes, it's possible that uh, a breakup could be the best thing that ever happened in terms of value. Uh, in terms of, as you mentioned, the personal domain. You know, does does Mark Zuckerberg sit across? All of social media. You know, does Amazon control web service as well as everything else? Um, You know, they they have a smaller domain, um, but uh, it might actually better for everyone. I I know it sounds a little weird. It's like uh, hiring the the Justice Department to be your management consultant and break you up for you. But yeah, uh, I I see that possibility.
2: Yeah, we're trying to sell yeah. to them as a good thing. They don't have to be in hearings all the time. They don't have to be seen as evil, et cetera, et cetera. And then they'd be richer than ever. Um, but but w- that's how Scott's trying to play it. But when you looked at those hearings, uh, the effect – this has taken a long time. Tim, you've been covering this. I, you and I have talked about this for years. What did you think of the most recent one? And is there anything we heard that day that will come back to haunt anyone?
4: Yes, I – was most struck less by what people said and more what was in the big document dump, because there was mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of bad stuff yes. in those documents. I Indeed. think it got, you know, everyone likes to show, um, you know, you had Facebook, for example, clearly articulating a plan to uh, eliminate its most dangerous competitors, uh, perceiving that they could, could, uh, replace it. Uh, obvious, uh, what we call in the law, anti-competitive intent, uh, you had Amazon clearly indicating it's willing to lose money to, to put a rival out of business. So there were a lot of smoke and guns uh, coming out. Some of the uh, questioners raised them. You know, others were talking about bias against conservatives and things like that. That's what I think came out of it, is that there's a much stronger case here legally than people realize.
2: Right. You mean land grab and neutralize caught your eye? The idea, those words, in, in, yeah. in, in emails around competitors. Yeah. So, if you had to, uh, with the do- and there's more documents where those came from. I think it's very clear. But if you had to rank the big four in terms of who's doing the most good right now and the most harm, could you do that, or do you feel it's all part of the same? You know, <laughs> who is doing the most
4: good and some kind of cosmic uh, cosmic? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, what do, what do you, in some terms kind of, of,
2: or you can go through each of them and say what their big problem is from your perspective.
4: I mean, I could, how about I rank them in terms of what I think is their legal risk? And maybe okay, I'll all right, uh, why
2: don't
4: we do that? have a little comment on, on that. And um, I mean, it's a little different. I think the, actually the most legal risk is Facebook. I think Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Scott was saying earlier, you know, most of these are good guys. I'm not so sure about them. You know, the law likes a villain, and there's just a lot of documents where Facebook has undertaken deliberate attempts to try to stamp out its competitors in very clear ways, uh, anti-competitive mm-hmm. ways, uh, not ways in which are are about them being better. So I think they're in the mo- they're in the most risk. And I overall still think that they uh, do the most harm. So I guess uh, my feeling about their contribution to the universe is the most negative. Um you know, I think the idea of being in touch with your family and friends is a, is a, is a great one. And if it were run by an entity that wasn't uh, so interested in maximizing its hold over your attention, uh, I think it would it would be a beautiful thing. Um so that there I think are the most harmful. Uh, let me discuss Amazon next. You know, Amazon is a is a big uh, question because they have in some ways followed the script, uh, prescribed by 20th century economics, which is consumers over everything. Um, you know, they have made it their job and you, know, you can quibble about around the edges, but they have, uh, made co- consumers a priority uh, for them. The more, uh, the larger question is, well, what about uh, everyone else? What about it, what it means to work in the United States? Are our children going to work in warehouses? You know, is there any, any money to be made elsewhere? So, um, that I think is a question like, what do you get when an economist has their wet dreams come true and everything is about the consumer <laughs> and the shareholder, <laughs> you know, what, what does that look like? And it doesn't look, you know, uh, you get, it's pretty get A lot of stuff pretty quick, pretty cheap. And if you own their stock, yeah. it looks pretty good. Um, but what does it mean to work in this country? That, that is what I think the hardest question posed by Amazon. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to sit there and think, what am I going to do with my life? And, um, you know, Uh, So then we move on, uh, finally, uh, to Google. Um, And, you know, Google shares, especially with YouTube, deserves a little more of the blame for splitting the country uh, and uh, uh, catering to people's worst sides than they get blamed for. Facebook gets a little uh, uh, too much for that. They they do have some antitrust risk, but not the same uh, uh, level. And uh, maybe I'll add, uh, you know, this is going on a bit. I think Apple, you know, Apple plays to vanity. Um, is that a sin? Uh, maybe. Uh, you know, and the stuff around their app store, I agree. Uh, I think it would be a better world, as as Epic suggests, where you could develop stuff and it was, you know, not necessary to pay a 30% tax to Apple. So Apple is, in this way, uh, a little bit of a parasite. But in terms of sort of uh, – I used to think differently about this, but in terms of, you know, monumental harms to democracy and so forth – Uh, to the way we want life to be, I don't quite see Apple in the same category.
2: All right. That's great. That's a great rundown. All right. uh, We have questions from the audience. Uh, Two questions. Uh, Will uh, China retaliate if the U.S. bans TikTok?
4: I mean, the thing is, China has already retaliated. It has to be understood. I mean, China has already banned all the uh, American equivalents of, of TikTok and of WeChat. Um, they don't let any important American information reach their citizens. And I'm not just talking about uh, commerce. I'm also in trade. I'm talking about ideas. You know, the they're, they're cut off. Uh, they are in many ways an outlaw nation, more than people accept or realize. And I just think, uh, you know, this is one area where I'm vaguely sympathetic to this administration. Agreed. I think we've been played for suckers. You know, I think we've so let what, them have could it. could they it, it,
2: retaliate more? How about, would they, what could they do retaliating more? Because you're right, you're 100% right. And their their hegemi- hegemony in areas like AI and robotics is really growing.
4: I mean, it's, it's a great question. Could they steal more trade secrets? Could they ban more? I mean, they're kind of at full tilt. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and we've just sat there. Uh, you know, they could, it could turn into a trade war. I mean, I think it should be a trade war, actually. That's the thing is we haven't really thought of the internet in trade terms. We've just said, okay, it's fine for them to buy on all their products and export everything here. If you think of it as a trade issue, you're like, what on earth is going on here? So, no, I think okay. it's, uh, it's just a huge asymmetry already.
2: All right. So, last, the last question, then Scott may have a final one. Does the, does the alphabet structure still make sense?
4: Um, no, I, I don't think so. I uh, think that you know Google has a, a couple great products And has managed to string along. I mean, I kind of like that they're able to support a bunch of random stuff. Um, Some of this reminds me of AT and T in its golden age when it, you know, held Bell Labs operating. Um, So in some ways, it's like a. So it makes, you know, I I like that fact of it. I can't see it making that that much sense. You know, no one really thinks conglomerates
1: are are a great idea. Um, So.
2: Okay, Scott. Final question.
1: Sure. Professor Wu, uh, big tech and antitrust gets a disproportionate amount of oxygen. Can you name another company or another sector that's not in the news where you think the concentration of power is dangerous for the economy and society?
4: Yes. I, could, I don't know where I start. I would say agriculture is a big one.
1: Hmm. And who are the players there?
4: Um, you know, Monsanto, who's, who's merged with a German uh, firm. There's a bunch of mm-hmm. – there's a small number of meat processing companies, Tyson Chicken being a, a good yep. example – um, so these aren't really headline companies, but uh, if you want to talk about why people in rural areas are so upset and, and getting starved, they have been squeezed. You, you know, the same way Amazon squeezes suppliers, uh, producers, um, agriculture, uh, it's the same story of a bunch of really big middlemen who ensure that American farmers are, are close to impoverished. They have a terrible deal going on there. It doesn't get as much. And, you know, that's where some of this grievance comes that's tearing this country aside. That's why a lot of Trump
1: supporters are angry about big business. Um, yeah. Um, pharma is so terrible. real like quick, a just, second you know, and a third? Pharma, you said? I'm sorry, far- I asked you for a second and third. Pharma? Yeah,
4: pharma. And look what I'm dealing with here. My, why is my uh, rural broadband uh, just a series of un- molested uh, m- monopolies who do whatever the hell they want and, um, you know, are just uh, melting the ice cube out here. Uh, I think it's infuriating that we've allowed uh, there to be these, you know, uh, rural broadband across country pharma. Let me just add, you know, pharma Novartis just introduced a new drug that costs $2.1 million per dose. And they got a bunch of people lined up to say, this is a very reasonable price, very good for American healthcare. And uh, you know that is somehow what's become normal in that industry. I think big tech uh, is very powerful, but frankly, things are even worse outside this little bubble we live in.
2: Yeah, fair point. <laughs> that's, that's a, a fair point to end yeah. on. Get back yeah. to the city, Tim. Obviously, that's your solution. <laughs>
1: Professor you have Lou, the curse of <laughs> bigness. <cable> <laughs> anyway, Strunk and, White, Strunk and White's Elements of Style and The Curse of Bigness are my go-to books when I think, okay, I need to be smarter <laughs> really fast. The curse <laughs> Don't and forget the master fellows, switch. I'm just hanging on the couch. That's right. The master right. switch
4: where uh, where it all started. Yeah. yeah all right, Tim,
2: thank you so much. I'm not gonna call you professor, I'm gonna call you Tim. Uh Tim, thank you so much. Professor Tim Wu, he's at Columbia University. He's a great author. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks, Tim. All right.
2: Gosh, he's smart. Do you like to call each other professor? Do you go, Professor, Professor? Is that a thing you oh, guys no, do? Tim, I know.
1: Professor it. Wu has earned it. That guy's a gangster. That I guy agree. is holiday. The- all of the great taste, none of the calories. He's a world class right. academic. He's I also mean, a great author. I love The Curse of Bigness. Really literally, is, is one and of my favorite speaker.
2: books. He's, he's just, he's like, he's like the Renaissance man. Let me just say, I want an honorific. What honorific would you give me? The honorable honorific. way of <laughs> an honorific. Like, you know, Professor.
1: You're, you're, you're Don, wait, Grand Dom Swisher. Yeah, wait, 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 wait all, da- right, da- okay, dame, all right. Okay. Lady Dame Swisher. Dame, lady Dame, dame. of dame. Subaru and Ray-Ban Swisher. All right. Go I on. I got rid of my super. A long time ago hey it's scott interrupting myself to mention that in the live version of pivot school we played a game for the first few episodes called no pressure you haven't heard it here on the podcast feed because it was too visual and chaotic to translate to audio our friend casey newton who's the silicon valley editor Of The Verge, and a total bitch in my view. And author of the email newsletter, The Interface, won all three of those games. Also got great hair. He's got great hair. So for this fourth episode, we decided to say, screw it. I would never use the term screw it. I would say something else. But anyways, we skipped the game and invited Casey, great hair, on to talk about Facebook, TikTok, and more. Let's jump ahead to get that conversation right now. Casey, right now. I need some more Casey, said no one ever.
2: Anyway, let's talk a bit about Facebook, which is one of the companies you cover very closely in your newsletter. Uh talk about your newsletter, uh, the interface, and uh, just Wall Street Journal had a, had a bombshell day about Zuckerberg stoking fears about TikTok in Washington, which you and I both know he was doing. Um explain explain that and where we are right now with this company that you and I are so obsessed with.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot uh, in in what you just said. I write a newsletter four days a week called The Interface that looks at the collisions of big technology and democracy. And Facebook often leads a lot of those discussions, like all the bad things that happen to tech companies happen to Facebook first. So I spent a lot of time writing about it. Um, And, you know, the story of TikTok and Facebook this summer has been fascinating because... For, for a bunch of reasons. And the, where I would start was, you know, in the middle of this antitrust hearing where we are all, uh, you know, so eager to see Zuckerberg finally take mm-hmm. questions about uh, sort of his, his dominant market power. Lo and behold, they have a legitimate competitor in in TikTok. You know, kids are spending yeah. 80 minutes mm-hmm. a day watching this thing. And all of a sudden he is legitimately forced to go out and compete. So it is really complicated, I think, the story of Facebook and, and antitrust in, in a way that maybe we didn't see coming. Do you think they get acquired by an American firm? I think if they can figure it out, they will. When you talk to folks at TikTok, they will tell you the technical challenges of trying to unwind all of that technology from ByteDance in 45 days is insane. So, I mean, just logistically, it's very difficult.
2: It's meant to be insane, isn't it? It's meant to force a sale so that it creates that problem, correct?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like this, this is, this is, you know, just, uh classic trump as chaos agent right like it, it is up to all of us to just sort of live under his whims and his caprices um and mm-hmm. you know tiktok would die in the process um you know i mean i i am very sympathetic to tim's view that you know the united states needs to take uh you know chinese social products like this more seriously but as a matter of policy making i mean it's just horrifying
2: yeah, so what do you what do you imagine will happen here? I mean, there's Larry Ellison's involved and uh, uh, you know, and really I want to get back to Mark, which I think he's trying to create I think Mark started this in a lot of ways, like the the nervousness around TikTok because there's so many other things I think Tim and I agree that we need to focus China our Chinese policy on this is not one of them necessarily. Or maybe you think it is.
0: Well, Zuckerberg's argument has been, look, there's probably like the internet has winner take all dynamics. And if you believe that, then you think there's probably only going to be one massively powerful global social network. And so in his view, Mm -hmm. it's either going to be Facebook's products, or it's going to be TikTok. And so the the message that he was trumpeting in Washington last year was, do you want to have a big social network as an agent of US soft power? Or do you want China to have a giant social network that it can do whatever it wants Mm -hmm. with inside America? Right. So he's trying to right. try to position Facebook as this national champion.
2: Right. Which he's done right. before in lots of interviews with both of us. So what, yeah. where does it which, go? By
1: the way, almost what never worked. national champions almost never work. That's one of the things I learned from the curse of bigness from Professor Tim Wu. National champions never work out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not really my preferred. Let's like, all take it, um, France. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look. How how do I think this works out? TikTok just filed a lawsuit on Monday. Um, you know, it is possible that the that the courts could intervene and say that this executive order, which is forcing the sale, um, is not allowed. But we know that the courts will typically give presidents almost you know uh, infinite latitude to do anything if a president so much as says the words national security, and Trump did. And so I think the expectation yeah. has to be he is going to get what he wants here. And so the question is, what is a sale going to look like? Um, you know, I, I have to say, I would much rather see it go to Microsoft than go to Larry Ellison, who has spent four years licking Trump's boots uh, in a way that is, mm-hmm. that just frankly, stacks of outright corruption. So I think if, if Oracle winds mm-hmm. up with TikTok, that this will just look like a straight-up mafia deal.
2: All right. Okay. Well then, all right, let's go. We're going to get to a question from the audience. Uh, but I want to talk about disinformation. Where are we on that? And 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 what will happen if by Biden wins. Um, Is Joel Kaplan out? Um, And is there danger of them breaking up Facebook and WhatsApp? It looks like Google's the one really on the hot seat with the government, not Facebook, because they have such an unholy alliance, as Professor Galloway
1: talks about it.
0: You just just asked me five questions like they were one question, by the way. Which one of them do you actually care about? Information, disinformation.
1: (laughs) By the way, Casey,
0: Casey, I am so on to you.
1: You are not the Silicon Valley editor. You're the poll boy at the Fontainebleau, and your name is Brad. (laughs) I know
0: what's going on here. I know what's going on <laughs> here. I, I've been proud to, to be Kara's pool boy for, for some years now. Um, Butler,
2: I have no pool. Butler, manservant that, is how. That's I like my to big call.
0: complaint about this place, by the way. But but look, you you want to know the misinformation story? You know, two things yes. are true. One is Facebook has invested a lot in trying to get bad stuff off the platform, but at the same time, it's the same old story. It has always it's been. You if you go... Yeah. It, it, exactly. You look at QAnon, you look at the Boogaloo groups, right? And and what we see is is the same old thing, which is Facebook is recommending groups to people without even knowing that it's doing it. They grow to unfathomable size. And then we start to see real world violence. I mean, you know, QAnon has taken over the Republican Party. You could argue that they could have done it without Facebook, but it sure seems like Facebook helped just as they helped the Russians in the 2016 election. So this just continues to be an issue Facebook is having trouble wrapping its arms around.
2: Yeah, all right. Now, what happens under our Biden administration? Joe Kaplan, is he still with us?
0: The crazy thing about Biden is that Biden wants to destroy Section 230, which is the underpinnings of the Internet that, that you and I love, right? Just Our ability to just get on Twitter, say whatever we want, like Joe Biden wants to take that away. Now... There's an open question as to how well he understands the law and how seriously he's going to pursue that if he actually becomes president. But his stated position is basically we need to get rid of the Internet as we know it today. And I think most people aren't paying close attention to that.
2: I don't think he knows what he's talking about. All right. But what about Facebook? Who's going to have a Facebook and Joel Kaplan? He doesn't know. He's not doing it. that. Ain't you know,
0: happening. I am I'm sort of working on a story about this right now. Like Joel Kaplan often gets positioned as this bogeyman, right? You read all these stories where, you know, Joel Kaplan appears out of nowhere to intervene and, you know, uh, help out Breitbart here or there. And, you know, and I believe all of that reporting. But the thing people forget is that Mark Zuckerberg's user base is more conservative than the average American and certainly his own employees. So Zuckerberg has a lot of just customer service reasons to cater to that population that go well beyond, you know, Joel Kaplan and whispering in in his ear. So even though he's a convenient explanation for a lot of these things, I think people really miss the real story when they talk about him.
2: Yes, that's a good answer. Last question from me, broken up. Are they in any real danger? I mean, Tim just said that, that they're in the most legal jeopardy. How do you assess it? And I have questions from the audience.
0: I think if you if you look to the letter of the law then yes I think there's a very good case to be made that that Facebook should uh have to unwind the the WhatsApp and Instagram acquisitions um the question is just do you uh truly believe that this utterly chaotic corrupt administration you know is actually going to go through that process and will win in court and that's where I sort of have my doubt so I think it is Uh, The right thing to do in principle. I think it's unlikely to happen in reality.
2: Okay, one question from the audience, and Scott will have a final question. What's your take on the morning news about Facebook versus Apple's new operating system? Is it able to block Facebook's ability to merge, to target ads? It starts an interesting data compatibility war between the two giants, and they have fought before.
0: They have. Uh, my column today. So if you want the full take, uh, go to theverge.com slash interface and sign up. Um, look, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to like about what Apple is doing. At the end of the day, they're just giving people more control over the information they want to share. This is usually what we, you know, people like you, you and me like argue for, right? Like you want people to have control over this sort of thing. But I do think that there's another view of this, which is Apple is unilaterally setting the terms of the advertising market and no one gets to appeal, right? So if you want to be um, sympathetic to Facebook here, you can at least say, Uh, Here is, once again, a case where Apple is is abusing its market position, just as it has with Epic and Basecamp and all the other companies we've seen this summer.
2: Uh, All right. Scott, last question.
1: Casey, what's the most underreported story in tech?
0: (sighs) The most underreported story in tech... Um, you know, the thing I would point to is um, a, a great piece that uh, that Rafat wrote on Skift today about how free Zooms are going to destroy the events business, <laughs> um, which I encourage both, both of you to read and every media business should read. Um, all of us are getting used to doing uh, this sort of in-person video conferencing, and I think it, it has huge implications that actually are starting to become clear, right? This is starting to become hmm. one of the major dividing lines between the the before times and the after times when it comes to COVID. Um, he calls the Zoom, basically the events industry, having its Napster moment. And uh, I think we, we need to, to think a lot more about that because a lot of companies are going to get founded and sold and a lot of uh, incumbents are going to get hurt and maybe destroyed uh, because of it. Yeah, wow. Casey, so, yeah. much,
2: so much in like hotels it. and
1: everything.
2: So much information.
0: And by the way, I want to thank for opening up for me today. He did a great job.
2: All right.
1: (laughs) Well, you were the man of that. He was the, the, you're (laughs) you too. All
2: right. All right, Scott. Thank you, Casey. See you soon. Well, maybe not. Thanks, Casey. Bye. 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 See you in San Francisco. Okay, Scott, let's answer some questions from the audience. We are running very late. Uh, So listener mail. First, we have a video question. Uh, So let's watch.
4: What I want to get your perspective on is sovereign risk in the U.S. We've heard recently that the federal government would like to nationalize the profits of a foreign asset sale with TikTok, and they've also, of course, talked about banning companies which are disloyal to the central government. We know this to be the authoritarian playbook. It's the next chapter we can likely expect in a Trump re-election, that he will take over companies owned by non-loyalists and hand them to friends and allies. I want to know if analysts are talking about this as a serious risk and whether companies, especially like Amazon, which is currently run by a known non-loyalist of the central government, is asleep at the wheel in realizing the risk that is coming to them if Trump is re-elected.
2: Well, that's Clinton Barnes of New York, and he's very jaunty. That's a very, I think, uh, you know, Clinton, this is a really interesting question. I think you're right. It is the authoritarian playbook to have friends take over industries. I, if I had to go even with another four years of Trump, I think Jeff Bezos will outlast him on every in every aspect. So if you're going to use that one, I do think he will try to help his friends and hurt his enemies. I don't think he's particularly effective at it as much as he thinks he is. Um, and I think it'll get worse in the next administration because the next administration is going if, to, if he's the president, it's going to be subject to protests and just constant scandal i suspect and and, and still you know we're the, the 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 people working for him are getting less and less good and i'm being kind there so i don't i don't worry about it necessarily and again i think jeff bezos if i'm going to use him as the proxy here is probably uh, just fine what do you think scott
1: yeah the liberal and liberal democracy is that we have institutions to slow down our thinking such that when we make a mistake and elect people who decide to play pretend ceo that the courts and regulators can step in. And if you, if you look at what's really happened, you know, he, okay, went after CNN. I hate CNN, so I'm going to block their merger with AT&T. And the courts said no. So, look, it, you're absolutely right, Kara. Trump versus Bezos is Mayweather versus McGregor. The redhead gets the shit kicked out of him. The big tech is the windshield. And right now, any, any single politician who tries to circumvent the law is just a, a big a big splat against that windshield. I am not I'm not as worried. I, th- I think you're smart to be worried, but I haven't seen any evidence that he's been able other than saying picking on Maytag or or I mean it's just so it's just it's almost it kind of less. comical. It's like a bad There's version a of the problem. shark tank.
2: I think um, Casey and Tim both talked about Oracle being in this deal with TikTok is that it looks like that uh, for Oracle Oracle looks like Friend of friendo Trump. Oracle. um, Talk
1: about hair plugs on an aging company. Jesus Christ. My God. (laughs) TikTok and Oracle. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. (laughs) Seriously, that's like when I show up wearing my members-only jacket. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that makes sense. I got a Corvette. Let's go to the Red Onion. Some Lancer's wine. (laughs) I used to party with these cool cats in Cuba.
2: Red Onion. Oh my God. What is the red onion? The red
1: onion? I don't Ooh, even know what that is. Where, that's where the dog used to take dates in college, $2 two dollar Long Island iced teas, nine shots uh, of alcohol for two bucks. That's uh, right. Uh, do you know how charming I get after seven or eight shots? Yeah.
2: Uh, no, I don't think you're charming at all after seven or eight shots. Oh, someone asked Silicon Valley in hoodies, what's the deal? They, they don't wear hoodies Sunder. as much as you think. Wait, do they? Oh, Sundar was, looks so
1: he. elegant, didn't he?
2: See, he he looks looked
1: good. like Omar Sharif's nephew, who's the ambassador to Rwanda. He looked like something out of mid-century modern cool. Was that a hate crime? Did I do that wrong? I Have I just been canceled on Twitter?
2: You know, not like. It was so offensive
1: the, that it wasn't offensive.
2: We will He's consult very elegant looking. The, the cancel culture experts on that. Yes, he is. He's great. Yeah, he. they just like to wear. So you know what
1: I took away? You know what I took away from what? the interview with Sundar? So first off, and you know my rule, anyone who's famous who calls me and asks me to lunch, I say no, because you know what happens? You And this happened on this episode. This happened on Pivot School. I listen to Sunder mm-hmm. and I see those sublime shoulders and that cool hoodie and that thoughtful demeanor. And I'm like, I just like Sunder. And I like, we we immediately don't, we Google it's less of a threat. And then Tim Wu comes on, and reminds us what the real world's like that this is a these guys yeah. are a huge set. and need to be broken up do not have lunch with famous people because they're almost very always very likable and take your eye off the ball
2: okay All right. That's a real. okay. I think. okay. All right. okay, sure. Um, One thing I did note in that hearing, the only person they accused of being un-American was the person of color, which was amazing. I thought that was. They
1: used the word American nine times with Sunder. They used it. They used it four times with Zuckerberg. And the guys that were born in Alabama and Texas, they didn't bring up the word American.
2: Yeah, it was really quite striking. I thought that was wrong. But you're right. We should not just because he has a lovely, elegant uh, hoodie. Uh, which they all do they're they're they all cost two hundred dollars just so you know three hundred dollar hoodies,
1: and they're they're very seriously could that guy be any more likable could that he's the most.
2: okay i'm losing you scott anyway thank you for everyone who sent in video questions remember to send in video questions for next week's show we have one more thing before we wrap up today's show we were gonna uh we have a predictions really quickly but scott has disappeared once again for predictions all right so now very quickly we're going to do predictions scott you're not out of here yet we're very close to being out of here Uh, Professor Galley, before we get to your prediction, we have another special guest who sent in a video with their prediction. Let's play it.
5: Hey, it's Roy Wood Jr. and I'm going to give you my prediction for the big four. Let's talk about Apple. Apple is a company that started with a nice, small and compact iPhone. And then what happened? It started getting bigger bigger and bigger and bigger and now we have an iphone x plus xlrr whatever the hell that's basically close to the size of an ipad but now if you see what's happening Apple's offering smaller phones now to say that they're more affordable, but what they're really doing is making everything small again. They're going to be the first company to go from small to big, back to small, and make us buy everything a la carte. Because the first thing that they're doing now, because everybody's going to the universal charging ports now, I think the USBCs they're called, uh, Apple is not going to include a charger, or at least that's the rumor. They're not going to include a charger with the next version of the iPhone. So now you got to buy the phone, then you got to go buy a case, then you got to buy a charger, then you know the next thing they're going to do, they're going to separate the cord from the plug. So now you got to buy an iPhone, then you got to buy an iPhone plug, then you got to buy an iPhone cord. How soon to they just selling us the glass and then you just got to assemble your phone at the house by yourself like a damn puzzle? That's where we headed. All right, I got to go check on my child, man. <laughs> <laughs> what, that was was that? what was that? What just happened Junior.
2: That was what Roy Wood Jr., Great. Right? Stand-up comedian and correspondent for The Daily Show. All right, Scott, he's very funny. What's your prediction? Very quick, 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 please.
1: Uh, uh, Trillions of dollars in shareholder value being moved to the home, connected devices, Peloton or Sonos acquired by the end of the year.
2: Oh, that's a big one. What You can't just drop that and run. By whom? By By whom? I'm usually
1: wrong. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) Each of them.
1: The obvious obvious acquirer for Peloton would be Apple.
2: Yeah, okay, Uh, yeah.
1: I actually, I think the gangster move here would be Netflix to acquire Spotify and then acquire um, Sonos and have vertical distribution. They'd have content on the back end. They'd have, uh, and then they'd have a distribution with a device and both Netflix and Spotify need that. I just, Sonos is 1.4 billion. It's just so ripe. It's a, it's the apple of sound, if you will, in people's homes.
2: I have someone waiting to finish setting up my system yeah, today.
1: It's a great, it's a great brand. It's It just seems to me just to be so ripe. And Peloton the connected with the workout from home space. Think about literally, think about the 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 sweating yep. industrial complex has literally collapsed, but people are working out more, which means there's going to be an unbelievable transition in shareholder value. And who's sitting there is kind of the coolest brand. By the way, the MPS scores, another prediction. Peloton. Peloton, mm-hmm. you know what their mm-hmm. business they're going to get into? Dating. They have a rabid community of like minded fitness people. They'll start, they'll they'll call it something and they'll get into the they could put Tinder out of business, Peloton dating.
2: Well, that's interesting because I am in love with Ali. Love. Yes, you're right. I love Peloton. I love the product more than anything. I've owned it a long, long time. And I know I'm an elite person, but it's the most satisfying product. I've owned in a long time. Thank Dom you. Swisher,
1: Lady yes. Dom Swisher.
2: All right, Scott, uh, next week is our, that's all we have today for Pivot School. Next week, our final episode of Pivot School, we'll be talking about education and recovery. Our friends of Pivot mm-hmm. will be the president of Howard University, nearby my house here, uh, Dr. Wayne Frederick, and he is amazing, and the he's superintendent good. of the Los Angeles Unified School District, Austin Butner. This is happening on Wednesday, September 2nd. Education's a big topic for Scott and for me, too, um, at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can send in a video question for next week's episode to schooled at voxmedia.com. We really appreciate it. We're sorry you went long today, but really, we don't. We're not, sorry, we're not, sorry. But Scott, that was a really good prediction. We're going to talk about it later. And Scott will be back on the main show next week. But this week we have uh, Baratundi Thurston, who's a get, who's our guest host. And we're having a lovely time without you, but I miss you and I can't wait to get back. I can't believe I just said that publicly. Shoot. Anyhow, Scott, you're frozen again. You're frozen again. So <laughs> leave it with that. All right, thank you everyone for coming. We really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week. Good, You, Scott missed my, my, little love letter to him and that's all he's going to get from me all right oh, thanks I everyone
1: heard it, saucy minx oh, no,
2: you didn't you didn't hear it you didn't hear it it never happened Bye, everybody okay all right thanks You're everybody love the
1: dog. thanks so much for everyone who joined us live for pivot school remember that if you paid for a ticket to the live show you can watch the video replays of all five episodes at pivotschool.com. and more importantly i am surrounding you with white light that's worth a lot you can also buy Pivot School swag at pivotschool.com/shop